0: So we want to declare this morning God you are so 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 good You are good And Lord we pray that the veil that's over our eyes will be thinned and removed so that the world can see who you really are Amen Amen Thank you, team. Bless you. There's a number of things I want to talk about today. I, I've been meditating on some passages, and I'm going to go eventually to 1 Corinthians 13, but, but I want to... Uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but I want to give you a sense, a vision of where God is taking you. What is this thing really about? What does it mean to be Christian? Father, in Jesus' name, let a spirit of revelation. God, let a spirit of revelation. God, let a spirit of revelation. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Let it come down on every home, let it come down on every heart, let it trump the mental processes of every intelligent mind that seeks to decipher truth through cognitive abilities. Let it come, spirit of revelation. You know, I have an advantage over some people in that I, I've never been known as the most clever guy in the room. And so I've never had to depend upon my abilities. That was not my strength. And, uh, and so when I began to experience the revelation of God and insights and to be able to perceive hidden mysteries of God... And when they would come, they would come down with such a clarity, with such a, uh, an obvious superiority to all my own mental devices. I thought, "This is what I want. This is what I, even if you made me brilliant, Lord, I realize that that the, my mind is so tremendously limited." And I pray today yes. that you would begin to understand those that are brilliant amongst us, that no matter how much you might think you see, that the spirit of revelation is a quantum leap above everything that your mind can access. And so for that reason, the Apostle Paul prayed for a spirit of revelation. And you think, well, okay, that's good. We pray for that. But why is that so significant? Because of this. Paul... He he could have prayed so many different things for disciples. When you become a new Christian, there's all kinds of challenges. And there's so many things Paul could have prayed. Because there were, you know what, there were problems. They were surrounded by a government that was hostile to them. There was a government that was from Rome, and there was a government that was religious in nature, that was Judaistic, that hated them, that would have killed them and annihilated them. They were taking their homes. They were confiscating their possessions. I mean, there was significant challenges happening. And Paul says, hey, this is what I'm praying. I'm praying this ambiguous spiritual prayer for, you know, and I think, you know, Paul, this is not really helpful. We have real earthly problems. But Paul understood something. He understood that, listen, the the answer to your earthly problems is a spiritual reality that you're blind to. And I want to break right now the, that sense of that, uh, that lie that says that you can be so spiritually minded, you're no earthly good. Let me tell you, if you're actually spiritually minded and not just, you know, in, a, in your own new age zone of, of you know, <laughs> uh, ridiculous thinking, emotional experience, if you actually were spiritually rem- minded, you would have a solution for every problem. So there's no such thing as being so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Because if you're actually heavenly-minded in the way that the Apostle Paul was talking about, it always boils down to the trickle-down effect of heavenly-mindedness is practical solutions. Because it means power to change circumstances. And what God is doing sometimes is there are some people that have surround themselves in the nuances of that which seems to be mysterious, enigmatic, and they say, "Well, no, I'm 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 in this special place with God." But if there's no effect on your life if there's no evidence that people can see that say this person is living in a way that's head and shoulders above every other Christian I know then what you have is is not spiritually mindedness it's it's something else and I want to say right today we reject we reject that as the presentation of what it means to be spiritually minded You know, because the enemy, and I, I see this so clearly right now, and I wasn't meaning to speak on this, but I see this assault as the people of God are being called to a higher place in the Spirit. There are naysayers that have witnessed people who are just simply emotional, people that are just simply, you know, caught up in their own pain, caught up in their own superstition, who say they see things that aren't real, and it has no effect on the living around them, no effect on their life or certain circumstances and they present that as spiritually minded. And those that refuse to even embrace the realm of the Spirit take that as evidence that all of it is foolishness. And we break that because God is calling a church into a new place. And you know that anthem that we've heard and we've sung that says, Come up here, continues to resonate in the Spirit because God is saying, I am raising up a people who not only know that they are seated in heavenly places, but are functioning and acting from that heavenly place. Yes. God, give us, give us, give us a spirit of revelation. Give us an ability to see the world through your eyes. So that's what Paul is praying. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 22, he says, Therefore also, after I heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. so he's praying for this church this fledgling group of people have begun to gather in a place called Ephesus a, a pinnacle place of idolatry and you know demonic worship and he's saying listen I'm praying for you I'm praying that I'm praying that you would be able to build a bigger church building wait a minute no he didn't pray that I'm praying that, you know, God would meet, you know, your needs to get winning the, the 649 lottery or whatever equivalent of that day. No, that's not what I'm praying. I'm praying that you get to see something you've never seen before. I'm praying that you understand that this salvation, this thing that you've been inducted into isn't a fable. It isn't an emotional notion. It isn't a mythical idea that may or may not be true that's just better than every other idea that you heard. I pray that the God, the Father of all creation would give you an insight into the eternal realm that you would begin to see that there is power that works far beyond beyond far above anything that you could ask or think that that power is not only there in the heavens, it's not only surrounding the throne of God, but it is literally inside of you that when you got born again, God took a piece of that power and put it inside of you. I want you to see that the answer to every one of your problems is right now at your fingertips. Open our eyes. And this is the way he worded it. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Oh, that you may know the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. In other words... If you could see what's available to you. If you could see what's already inside of you, then you can begin to imagine what's possible. See, right now, we're surrounded by voices. It's telling us what we can't do and what we can do, what's impossible and what's not possible. And this is the challenge that we have. Every circumstance that we face, the enemy say, yeah, this is not possible. He saying, listen, there's a capacity to see things you, you don't know about. And if you see them, if your eyes are opened, that, then you will know what is the hope of his calling. In other words, what is the normal expectation of God for your life? No matter how low you think you are, no matter how intelligent you are. No matter how talented you are or untalented you are, No matter how weak you are, no matter what your family lineage, no matter what what sin issues have plagued you your whole life, there are people out there right now from the time that you were children. You've been surrounded by demonic spirits. You were awakened in the night by a terror. You were awakened and harassed. Voices spoke to you to tell you who you are. And God is saying, listen, I can set you free. You've been surrounded you've been surrounded by demonic powers that whisper to you you're going to be just like your grandfather you're going to be just like your father and your mother you're going to be as poor you're going to be as broken you can't escape this you're corrupt you're, you're, you're wicked there's something wrong with you and God is saying listen there is another voice there is, yeah. yes. there is. Yeah. and he's saying listen I want to give you a sense of hope. I want you to know what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, I'm going to stop right there. He said, listen, the power that's inside of you is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Well, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to get over this cold, and I've been praying and fasting for weeks, and, I, and I, I haven't been able to get God to heal this cold. I haven't been able to draw in enough anointing or enough power to, you know, I'm still sick, or I'm always sick. I'm always getting sick. Well, that means you don't really understand the power at work inside of you. And the spirit of revelation is meant to give it to you. Another passage is in John seventeen three, 3, and, and this, is, this is so powerful. Because you, when you got born again, you got born again to experience eternal life. And maybe you got born again out of the hope that, well, I don't want to be annihilated. I don't want to be thrown into hell. I don't, I'm fearing that my life is heading to destruction. Maybe that was the atmosphere. Maybe, maybe on the other hand, your life was filled with promise. I don't know what the circumstances, but this is what he said. And this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Well, isn't it eternal life when I die and I'm resurrected? Isn't it eternal life when I, when I die and I suddenly awaken in the heavenly kingdom and I get to live forever? No, no, no. That's the byproduct of eternal life. Hello? The effect of eternal life is that you live forever. But that's not what eternal life is. That's what eternal life causes to happen. What is eternal life is the knowledge of him. God Himself is life. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so in John 17, 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that you may, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is why the Apostle Paul is praying. Listen, of all the things that you need, all the practical, and you can, you can make a list of the 10 most important things that need to happen in your life. God is saying, listen, all of that will be taken care of if you get get this one thing. If you get insight into who God is you get all those other things that's what we learned from Solomon you know Solomon he, 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 there's so many things he needed as the king and so many things previous kings had asked God when, he, when they had the opportunity they, they asked for riches they asked for strong armies they asked for, for um, long life or whatever it was and, and Solomon asked I want wisdom I want to be able to see God what you see and God was like alright you got it. This is it. Because if you get that, you get everything else. And this is what God is saying, is if you get the knowledge of God, you get everything else. Well, I want to build a business. If you get the knowledge of God, you get the capacity to build a business. If you want to make invention, inventions then, and you get the knowledge of God, then you can create things because you'll see things you've never seen before. You'll start to see how the creation works because the outflow of everything in creation, molecules, energy, plants, everything that's out there comes from Him. It's all knowledge of God. It's all resident in who He is. And God is saying, listen, I could unfold to you. The mystery of everything hidden from the eyes of mankind. If you would only draw near to me. If you'd only realize that in me, I am the strand of life. I am the source of all things good. There is no other place that you can get these things. They're all from me. Yes. Only you. Now, why, why is this important? It's important because... The greatest threat to our Christian faith is not sinners. The greatest threat to the Christian faith today is not Satan. The greatest threat to the Christian faith today is not governments that seem to be hostile to us. (laughs) What is the greatest threat is your lack of understanding of what this is really about. The only thing that keeps you in a lower rung of operation, in a lower rung of power, in a lower rung of effectiveness as a Christian, either for your own personal life or how you affect and help others, is only diminished by what it is you think you have as a resource. Wow. And so God is trying to say, Listen, (laughs) in me, Is everything necessary for life and godliness in me is everything necessary for life and godliness but when we don't really understand this we go to a secondary uh, element a secondary tool and that's what I did when I when I got saved I got I didn't get saved because I thought I just can't do this maybe I'll tell a little bit of my testimony I don't know if you've heard it before But I was, my mom got healed of cancer. She got filled with the Holy Spirit. She got born again. And she was a part of the Catholic Church, the Catholic renewal. You know, things, the Holy Spirit was, I mean, flowing through all these denominations, all these different churches that didn't know anything about these things. And all of a sudden, you got people being born again in mainline churches. It was tremendous. It was amazing. My mom gets born again. She starts telling us about these things. And eventually, I get born again. But I get born again reluctantly because I, I don't think I can be good enough for God. And maybe you're out there and you're thinking, you know, I would be a Christian, but I just don't have it in me to be that disciplined. Oh, Father, I pray right now if that's you. If you think that the sin impulses that are inside of you cannot be mastered by your willpower, you are right. <laughs> But there is another there is another fountain of power inside of you, available to you. And God is trying to say, listen, the only reason you drink from the fountain you drink from is because it's the only one you know that's available. Right. If you understood that the other one is freely available, Father, in Jesus' name, It's not just there, but it's freely available. And it's not held in reserve for special moments. It's your everyday drink. It's your everyday spiritual food. It's your sustenance for every day. It's not what you use after you've drained yourself of all your strength. It's what you use instead of your strength. But, you know, we have this thing inside of us that says you are not welcome to drink from this fountain of God. You are impure. And so stay at a distance until because God is angry, resentful. He doesn't want you eating his food from his fridge. And that's the lie. God is saying, no, I I want you to drink from my strength. Father, I break the power of that religious mindset. And this is why Jesus said, "It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." Not only is the Father's—I mean, He's happy to give you the kingdom. Not only that, but when you use the stuff He's provided for you, you glorify Him. Yes. That's right. God's not sitting there about to rub it in your face. That see, I told you. You said you could do it, and I'm and I'm I, and now you can't. And I'm just—I told you so. And, and if you try to drink of my stuff with each, each, each minutia, crumb, each little droplet of this that you eat from, I'm going to hang over you and say, I told you, you're no good. That's the feeling that many of you have about God. And so we only reluctantly go to his storehouse when we have no other option. Well, let me tell you, you have no other option. Because the storehouse you've been eating from and drinking from is insufficient and right next door Father I I pray in Jesus name right next door that the valve of your heart the valve of your heart and this is what's coming we're coming a generation of believers who drink so thoroughly from the supply of God and that they have no impulse to drink from their own supply they don't see their own strength they don't see the will of man as anything other than an encumbrance Father in Jesus' name. Well, here's what happened to me. I got saved, finally, but I didn't get saved because I thought, I just can't be good. And then one day, I was sitting in a bar and the glory of the Lord showed up. Literally, the glory of the Lord. A white substance flashed through and burned in every cell of my being. And I knew, I knew intuitively. Nobody had to tell me. I just knew this was God. This was God calling to me, and He said, "Mark, what are you doing here?" And I immediately knew that I was I was following a path that I didn't need to follow and wasn't necessary. He's saying, "It's over. You're done with that life." And I the next morning I said to my mom, "I said I'm going to Bible school." And of course, my mom's looking at my natural course. She's looking at a young man whose life is heading deeper and deeper into destruction deeper and deeper into drugs and alcoholism and violence and all of a sudden I show up at the breakfast table saying I'm going to Bible school. Well how, how do you make that kind of about face and of course she's not sure that I even made any kind of an about face. She didn't know what happened and I couldn't explain it because I didn't have any theology. I, mean, I couldn't explain the moment that I had the night before when, when the surreal glory of God, the power that was able to make somebody holy, the power of resurrection that could come inside of somebody and change everything about them. Once I had tasted of that, I knew... I knew that God wasn't asking me to act like somebody who's nice. He wasn't asking me to act like a good person. He wasn't asking me to put my best foot forward. He's saying, listen, I am going to change you through the power of my glory. I didn't have the language of the theology to say that to my mom. So when she said, well, you got to change... I just thought, yep. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Not because I could do it, cuz up to that moment I couldn't do it. Up to that moment I I well, I can't even be regular good, not never mind Christian good. But I knew in that moment. See the the wisdom of God, the the revelation, the seeing the supply of God changes everything. I had a moment like this on this trip here recently which I I, I did some Facebook posts about I shared on the Canadian Firewall about it but I was let me let me give you a backdrop I was a little negative on California and here I was I found myself in San Diego and we were doing I was with a friend and he was doing some meetings and I was meeting with a few people and uh, I was driving in San Diego and as I was driving one morning I suddenly looked out at the land and I I saw a hue, a glistening golden hue of the glory of God on the land. Yes. It, was, it was amazing. But what it did, it was beautiful. Everything, everything you see, everything that God touches becomes beautiful. That's why it says in the Psalms, holiness becomes his house. That means holiness makes beautiful everything that it touches. And when the holiness of God comes on your house, on your body, on your being, you become beautiful. That's why if you think you're not beautiful, if you think nobody will ever love you, I'm telling you, get a hold of the presence of God. Because when holiness comes upon you, you are made beautiful. And it doesn't matter what kind of human defects you have. So I saw the land, and I suddenly saw this beauty on it. But I began to immediately see the the treasure that this land was in the heart of God. I was overwhelmed. I thought... I thought I had been telling people, you know, if you live in California, you better get out because imminent collapse is on its way, imminent destruction is on its way, and and you know I'm I'm not saying this or that is going to happen, but I saw that God had not given up on California. Right. That I had allowed the circumstances, I had allowed the news, I had allowed the politics of the day and the leanings of the people of California to determine the future hope of California. And when I saw the hand of God and how much God cares for the land, I realized, no, God has not given up on California. And it was so profound. I I felt in that moment that if God was saying, move to California, I would move there. while everybody else is moving out. What is that? That is what happens when you touch the the garments of a holy God. That's what happens when you touch the garments of this power, this resurrection power that is able to give you an about face. It's all about an about face. It's all about an about face. And God is actually saying to you right now, and He's, you know, there are, there are two types of people that are hearing this. There's the ones that have been successful in being what you think God has called you to be. And there's these ones that have not been successful, who feel like they are the, the tail and not the head. They feel like they're at the end of the road. They feel like they don't deserve anything. And God is saying, yeah, I never asked you to be good, I asked you to participate in my goodness. Yes. And those of us that have towed the line to think in our strength well you know i could have cursed that guy but i held it all in how righteous am i and god is saying that's not righteousness we'll talk about that another day but but god wants to bring us to another level and the apostolic prayer that he prayed two thousand years ago continues to be prayed by those who understand the cornerstone of the kingdom of god I'm not going to pray for you that you, the, your, 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 your car doesn't break down. I'm not going to pray for you that this and this and this. I'm going to pray for you the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That if you would touch that, that it brings alignment to all the death in your life. Whether it's physical death or spiritual death or emotional decay or, or wounds of the past or whatever it is. That the life of God is so thorough in its capacity to redeem. that will pour out something on you. Well, I had that moment the other day and just immediately changed, turned hopelessness into hope in regards to California. But here's what happens to us. I became a Christian. I went to Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. I started on this great footing where, where I was, you know, I can't be good, God. I can't be good. I mean, there's something inside of me that wants you, but I, I can't be good. So I, I, I don't know what to do. And God fixed that by saying, listen, it's my power that's sufficient in your weakness. So I went to Bible school and see what happened is that little, that little dose of power, it, it changed some things in me. And I started to live in the wake of the change. What, what does that mean? I started to think that what's sufficient is the things that I now can do because of what He changed inside of me. And I thought I just need to leverage this newfound ability to shut my mouth. I just need to leverage this newfound ability to not not be entirely rage-driven god is saying ah oh, here he is again he's back doing what he it, you know his touch incrementally increases increase the the level of godliness i could display and so i thought oh i, I just got to now leverage this thing and perfect that strength say no, no no what you need is another dose But you'll never get another dose until you realize that what you have now is insufficient for for the turn and the journey that's ahead of you. And so I went to Bible college and out of that one little touch, I began to do so many things. And with everything that I did, as people marveled, as people praised me, as people thought, wow, you are some zealous believer. Yeah, that's me. That encouraged me to be more zealous but it wasn't out of the touch of God. It was out of the glory that comes from people praising me. And I didn't see it, but I started, to, I started to drink from that fountain again. Oh, I want to be recognized. I want to be acknowledged. I want to be seen to be a good Christian. I like that when people say nice things about me. But eventually, eventually, God says, Okay, it's time for you to see that without me, you can do nothing. And he pulled the plug on the grace because it says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And all of a sudden, all the things that I thought I could do because I was changed yeah. just evaporated. Suddenly, my discipline to go to prayer and wake up at 5 a.m. and fast for three or four days without a without effort, you know, to, all of these things, the desire to go out on the streets every night and share about Jesus, and the ability to worship and keep my hands up and dance and and. Be, you know, all of those things, they just suddenly they were gone. Right. Now what I didn't tell you is I began to judge those who weren't as righteous as me in my own eyes. And here I was, again, in this place, like, oh, I'm not measuring up." And so I did what I did last time. When you don't feel like you're measuring up, you draw into the shadows. You step back away because you're feeling shame. You're feeling disqualified. You're feeling like a failure. And when I was sufficiently passionate, hungry, desperate for what God could do, and fully aware of what I could not do, then he said, okay, I'm going to show you my power. Father, I pray that you would show a people your power. Show a people your power. See, the greatest, the greatest threat to the kind of love that we're called to, to, to present to the world is not hatred. It's another form of love that's human in origins. A great, the greatest threat to God's glory is man's glory. Man doing what he thinks God wants him to do. Yeah is the greatest assault on the glory of God that we have. And what God is doing in our lives is saying, listen, I want you to be a trophy of grace. I want you to be changed by my touch and my touch alone. And when you begin to believe that your efforts can be equivalent to the touch that I can give you, I'll begin to resist you. There's coming a generation. There's coming a people. There's coming... the sons of God, these are the ones who are so like Jesus that creation cannot discern the difference between you and him, that when the sons of God, when the grace, the power that's inside of you is unleashed to do what it can do. When you begin to realize that you can't do it, that without him you can do nothing, but that there is a deposit inside of you that can take you into realms, that can bring knowledge, that can bring power, that can give you a love. I'm telling you, I did not love California, but one drop of the mercy of God changed my heart. Who is it you can't love? Who is it you can't forgive? Where is the enmity and the hatred that causes you to come into conflict with people? Is it your neighbor? is it a wife? It is, is it a grandfather who molested you? Who is it that hurts you, that you can't love? I'm telling you, the love of God can come and touch your life and erase the pain of all of your, your, all of your experiences and renew your capacity of hope. Father, what is eternal life? This is eternal life, that they may know you. Paul, Paul was yearning, he says in the Philippians, he said, oh, that I may know him. Despite the changes in his life, there was still another level. Despite the fact that he was a preeminent apostle, he continued to hunger. The generation that's coming, the overwhelming, as we close the epoch of time, as we come to the end, the final generation... There is going to be a manifestation of a people who are so perfect. Creation will mistake them for Jesus. But they won't be perfect because they've dug deep and paid the price. They will be perfect because they realized the futility of their strength. The futility of human goodness. The futility of trying to pretend to be something you're not. Instead they leaned into knowledge of god and were energized by resurrection power and out of the dust and out of the brokenness and out of the shame came an army an army like no other army who circled the earth with weeping and mourning and brokenness who brought healing and regeneration to every culture Every nation, every neighborhood, every city, every province, every coastal area of the earth, every island, Father, in Jesus' name, we say, let us be a part of the generation of Jacob that seeks your face. I know Mark talks about this all the time, but this is the answer for everything. A generation that seeks his face. wonder if I get our worship team could come back and I'd like us to sing a song and close with this. What I hope is a rejuvenated confidence. Not that if I try hard, I'm going to do it. But if I drink from the power, from the glory that is his, if I tap into what has been made available, and I pray right now that God would begin to show you why are you reluctant to sit at the table of the king when there is a seat made available for you through the blood of Jesus, when the almighty son of God, when the, when the treasure of heavens, heavens uh, Lord, the captain of our salvation, when the son of the ancient of days came to the earth and died for us and said freely, Freely eat, freely drink. Why is it we don't? Is it pride? Is it fear? Is it unbelief? Holy Spirit, remove its power today. Remove its power today. You see, every generation, and I was one of those in my generation, when I came to the Lord in 1982. When I, did, when I was touched by heaven in 1982, I began to run with the strength of ten men. I began to, to pursue God that in a way that excelled everybody else around me at the time. I, and people, people wondered, like, what makes you so special? It, it wasn't. It was, I just knew what I could make of myself until I forgot. There's people right now getting saved today. And they're going to continue to get saved. They're going to get saved out of prostitution. They're going to get saved out of of, uh, emotional distress and suicidal thoughts. They're going to get saved out of insanity. They're going to get saved out of cancer. They're going to get saved out of sin and addiction. And when they do, they're going to celebrate this God of resurrection in a way that will marvel us. Because they'll know they'll know who did it so i pray today that the revelation that the desperation and you may be out there and i see so many vaguely but i see you desperate disappointed vowing to try harder vowing to deep be better vowing to to not be the man your father was or the where you were last year or the week before and it's all for nothing because in and of yourself, you can do nothing. But that final that final straw that breaks the camel's back of your belief that you can do it with a little more effort, suddenly you'll tap into the power. Suddenly you'll tap into the glory. Listen. Somebody should have told me, you know, you should be more optimistic about California. And I might have tried, but it would have been very fake. But when I saw the heart of God, suddenly it changed me. And I didn't have to pretend I had hope for California. I did. Everything that you're required to do or to be is not meant to come out of duty. It's not meant to come out of a list of obligations it's meant to come out of transformation when you see him you're changed we go from glory to glory and when we see him we're made like him so i say see the lord today